You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. It's hard to believe it, but we are a full 25% of the way through the NBA season. And it feels especially weird this year because they gave it to us in halves, right? They told us, here's what the first half's going to be. We'll let you know what the second half's going to look like in terms of schedule and everything else a little bit later down the line. So we're halfway through the first half. We'll get into some of the storylines around the association and a whole bunch of other news today. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. And let's get right to it, Fitz. This is Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. One of the biggest conversations at any point when we reach these markers in an NBA season is the top teams and the top players. What do you want to start with, individuals or groups? Well, let's start with groups in my mind because this all comes back to the Lakers. You mentioned the 25% and the fact that we only know halfway through the season. I think that's actually really interesting because as the season continues to lay itself out there, knowing that at the midway point we'll find out what drama we're getting in the back half, at least gives me some element of something to look forward to because I don't feel like there's a lot of drama in this season. We can be cute and try and make it that it's going to be this compelling, interesting, all the way down to the wire moment. I just don't think it is. The Lakers are clearly better than everybody. They were clearly better than everybody in the bubble when they played like they cared, and that's come through to this season as well. Like I have zero reason to put my tiny, tiny, tiny cash on anybody other than the Lakers to win the NBA championship. Nothing I've seen so far this year has changed my mind on that. I agree with you right now. Lakers feel heads and toes above everybody else, but I also think that embedded within the conversation uh, is that is that kind of recognition that the season feels weird. Postponements, protocols, the fact that we don't have that second half yet, concerns about teams being able to field a roster, the quick turnaround from last year and the shortened offseason and how that's affected minutes and participation. All of that kind of gathers together in a sport where we already have trouble valuing each individual game because we know that you can be the Bucks in the regular season and then not make it to the finals, right? Hmm. Because we know that you can overvalue an individual meeting and the matchups that we prioritize and look at in that game and then see it look completely different over the course of a postseason series, that already makes it tough to look at individual games in the NBA season and try to figure out your tiers and your power rankings. But add into that, players playing fewer minutes. I think LeBron's still averaging the fewest minutes per game of his career. It's still competing at an incredible level regardless. Uh, And then players just being absent. I mean, look at the Heat. This is a team in the finals last year in the bubble. And I think Jimmy Butler's played six games. And we don't know for sure what's going on there. Um, So I think that is making it harder to use our regular metrics to try to figure out what's going down. And yet, with all that being said, I agree with you. We can still see with our eyes that the team that won last year has only gotten better. And the question marks for the teams around, the Bucks being one of them, are still pretty big. I would say the 76ers right now are a team that looks significantly better than before. And if this Embiid stays this way, they could be a problem. Well, I think that becomes the more interesting part of it. And you're you're so right. When you talk about the the lack of normalcy or any sense of normalcy, I think that also plays, by the way, to the advantage of the Lakers. Because as strange as last season was, they went through it. And they endured whatever the weirdness was of 2020 and the bubble and everything else. And they won the NBA championship. So we've seen them thrive in weird, right? So I still feel like there's an advantage there. But when you mentioned the 76ers, that takes me to what I think is compelling coming in through a quarter of the season. And that is the Eastern Conference. I mean, Philly is absolutely, Embiid, they're playing lights out. 
Boston, the Bucks, they're sitting behind them. Can they put something together? Is that going to be good enough? And the Nets are currently the five seed, which feels strange. But now we we talk about the way the the combination of players is going to work there. The drama for the NBA season moving forward is really about who the Lakers are going to beat in the NBA Finals. Will it be Philly? Will it be Brooklyn? Will it be the Bucks? Like that becomes the interesting storyline team wise to me in the in the through the first quarter of the season. It's Spain and Fitz there, Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Another note I saw today, uh, the NBA announcing they're going to reschedule some of the first half of the season, the games that were postponed. And in addition, certain games that were otherwise scheduled for the second half will now be scheduled into the first half with specific focus on those teams that have had the most postponed games. That creates the maximum flexibility and and having you know the moving around of games to be able to schedule some additional ones. Um, so they're already having to adjust to what's happened in the first half by affecting the second. Uh, we'll obviously continue to keep an eye on that. Also worth noting, one positive test now to, I think it was 18, two weeks ago. And so that perhaps showing the effectiveness of the new protocols. We'll see if that can stick once we're used to them. But for now, that's a positive. You mentioned uh, Joel Embiid. And another conversation, of course, as, as we're 25% in, is who's our MVP so far? And the individual race, uh, it's it's a lot of the names that you think of. Um, but Joel Embiid, perhaps one that you would not hear so effusively argued for. Max Kellerman on his radio show today talked about Embiid. You know, the reason I go to PER, it's not because it's a perfect stat. But when people talk about well, he has this many points and this many rebounds, this many assists, and look at his free throw percentage. PER sort of takes all that into account. What's his scoring efficiency, his offensive efficiency? Number one in the league, way above LeBron, is Embiid. And then defensively, he's certainly one of the best, if not the best. So how, what else is there? Offensive defense. And in terms of value to his team, they can't beat anybody. They get blown out by everybody without Embiid. Bad teams blow him out without Embiid. LeBron James is the best player in basketball. He proved it again most recently in this last playoff run. But if we're just talking about the way people vote on MVP right now, it's Embiid. Okay, so that's one take. Kendrick Perkins today on Get Up seemed to have a wholly different approach. We get caught up in those analytics. We get caught up in PR and all that stuff that don't even matter. And we determine who our MVP is instead of sitting in front of the television, keeping a cool booty, and watching the game with our eyes and watching who has the effect on the game. Okay, I'll admit I wanted to play that because he said keeping a cool booty. But also, are you team PER or are you team cool booty? Well, first and foremost, and by the way, for anyone that doesn't know, PER, player efficiency rating, so it takes a player's per-minute productivity, so uh, it's a deep-dive analytics number. How exactly do you sit, though, and remain with a cool booty? Because, like, most people, when you sit in the seat after them, like, they've left the seat, like, hot. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. like, everything's a little bit uncomfortable. Like, I'm not a fan of following up after a goal chair because we know that seat's going to be hot. (laughs) Like, I don't know how you keep a cool booty. Uh, you've completely ignored whether you are Team Cool Booty or Team PER. I'm going to put it up on the poll, by the way, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz. Are, are you Team PER or Team Cool Booty? Um, I'm, 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 I'm torn on cool that booty. because I'm Team Cool Booty. Cool so you're, Booty. It's, it's the eye test then, essentially. Cool Booty is the eye test. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I, look, when it comes to LeBron, I just – at some point, you just sit back and watch it, and you say, yep, that's the best one. I mean, Max even says it when he's backing up his stats point with PER. Look, LeBron's the best team player in the NBA. He's just not the MVP. Now, if you're the best player in the league, you're the MVP. To me, that's very simple, and it's LeBron. 
Most notable in that clip to me was Max Kellerman saying, if you're talking about the way people vote for the MVP. And so I think he was saying himself, LeBron James might be the best, but the way we vote for MVPs is using a lot of these numbers, uh, not with our not with our booties. So Straight Talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. We'll get into more NBA conversations as we're halfway through the first half, uh, particularly some stuff on that Warrior starting lineup and, and Wiseman and how he's looked so far. I'm interested in getting into that. But coming up, We've got to get to a story in the NFL today that was as interesting for how it was covered as for the story itself. We'll get into all that next on ESPN Radio. Cool booty. (laughs) You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Welcome back to Spain and Fitz. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz with you on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Guests will join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Some good NBA tonight right here on ESPN. Some good matchups. You got the Lakers and the Sixers and then... You got the Warriors uh, is in the second half. Who are the Warriors taking on again? Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, both of those on ESPN. So we'll get back to some uh, NBA conversation at the 25% mark of the season coming up. Uh, but I wanted to get into the conversation around Chad Wheeler. This was a story that hit my eyes last night, uh, late after our show. The backup Seattle Seahawks uh, offensive lineman, released from jail this morning on a $400,000 bond after he was arrested early Saturday morning on suspicion of felony assault, domestic violence. Uh, He is alleged to have assaulted his girlfriend at an apartment in Seattle. He was a free agent, uh, so was technically not even really on the Steelers, or sorry, the Seahawks after their season ended, but he's been released either way, and the Seahawks have said that he will not be a part of the team going forward. Um, According to the Kent Police Department, he threw his girlfriend on a bed, strangled her until she lost consciousness and went to go eat dinner. Later realized that she was conscious and had gone into the bathroom to call 911. He picked the lock and was there in the room with her when the police arrived. Uh, He allegedly asked her to bow down to him. And when she didn't, that's when the violence began. Uh, According to the reports, he'd not been taking medication for his bipolar disorder. He did release a statement today that says events happened over the weekend that transpired from a manic episode. I'm deeply sorry for the pain and suffering that I caused to Ali and her family. I apologize profusely for the turmoil that I've caused to my family, teammates, fans, and those closest to me. The most important thing right now is that Aliyah gets the care she needs and I get help. Both are happening. It's time for me to walk away from football and get the help I need to never again pose a threat to another. I cannot express my sorrow or remorse enough. I am truly ashamed. Now, Fitz, uh, the responses to this and the specifics of this case make it complicated to discuss because a lot of people want to compare it to other incidents. Now, in this case, there is a mental health aspect. There is a what appears to be an admittal from Chad Wheeler of his guilt in this situation. And he is not on a team and he is not a star. And the likelihood of him having another go at the NFL is a lot less likely, not because of the crime he committed or the horrific acts and pictures of the damage done to his girlfriend, but because of his talent on the football field which doesn't allow us to see how much the NFL has done in terms of progress since, for instance, the Ray Rice case or even Tyreek Hill or anyone else. Um, But it does mean that a lot of people, potentially in bad faith, want to discuss this by comparing instead of doing what we always need to do, which is to address each incident using the specific facts of the case. With that being said, I mean, the NFL, uh, I would expect the NFL to act swiftly here, and I would expect the, the Seahawks, obviously, have said that he'll no longer be with the team. I understand, obviously, that this is very different than other instances, but 
at the same time, the league has to handle it the way they're handling it, right? Like, I don't want to the, – the things that the league has done incorrectly in the past doesn't mean that they – this isn't correct right now. You know what I mean? Like, I'm trying to compartmentalize the two. Like, for, for Wheeler to be punished by the league, the league needs to come out and act swiftly. It's a, it's a separate conversation of how they've handled stars in the past and what should be done with stars, but they are at least handling – we would presume that they'll handle this the right way, right? I would hope so. And there was extremely high profile failure on the part of the NFL and various teams for a number of different incidents previously. You'd like to think progress has been made, including the addition of a lot more women at the front office level and important positions within the NFL to steer them in the right direction in handling these kind of sensitive cases. Uh, But again, the issue of trying to compare, for instance, three members of the Super Bowl qualifying teams, Frank Clark, Antonio Brown, and Tyree Kill, with Chad Wheeler, is nearly impossible because of the context. Those three guys are star players, and the teams that they are on and the league that they were in will go out of their way to figure out how to claim rehabilitation, even if it hasn't been proved, and get them back on the field because they help them make money. Chad Wheeler is a backup offensive lineman that most of us had never heard of that appeared in five games last year. That is a big difference. It shouldn't be in terms of how much we care about the horrific nature of the crime. It shouldn't be in the ways we want to talk about how a white offensive lineman beating up his black girlfriend might be treated differently and covered differently by media, even if subconsciously and not intentionally. That's important to get into, the ways black athletes are demonized and discussed in relation to their white counterparts. But that can't be done in a bad faith way that ignores the rest of the context, which is this happened hours ago. We have a very limited amount of facts around it so far. He's acknowledging and admitting it, so there is no attempt to victim blame, to point the finger, to evade to collude with anyone in an attempt to cover this up, at least not yet. And again, there's the mental health aspect, which I don't know the numbers. I would guess that it is possible that there is a higher probability and likelihood of being diagnosed and treated for that kind of mental illness as a white player than a black one. I don't know that for sure, but I would not be surprised to learn that. And so is it possible that previous athletes who have also had issues with domestic violence and intimate partner violence had mental health issues that needed to be addressed and were not. That's possible. But there's also a lot of issues of control and power in these incidents that have nothing to do with bipolar disorder. And in fact, those manic episodes do not always result in something like this. And all of those things require a great deal of nuance and expertise that most people, to be honest, will not have. And so that results in players saying stuff performatively, in my opinion, on social media about how they're going to show up at his door and beat his butt and yada, yada. Meanwhile, a lot of them know of teammates that have done just the same. And because they've helped them win, they haven't said much. It's an important piece of context, Sarah, to to discuss, at least with the mental health issue. I mean, uh, I always want to be sensitive to somebody that comes out and acknowledges that they have uh, manic tendencies or, or manic diagnoses, but I also grew up uh, around it. And I think you make a valuable point that not everybody that has manic uh, manic tendencies or diagnoses, in fact, is also violent to this level. So one does not excuse the other. Well, I guess the first thing that comes to my mind in, in an ideal world, what would the NFL do right now? Like, what's the best way for this to be handled? Well, in talking to experts about this, one of the things that I have 
come to most prioritize in these discussions is to ask the question of whether we are punishing for the sake of PR or for the sake of progress and rehabilitation. Are you wanting to prove to people that you care about this issue and in doing so, you're going to loudly proclaim how they are punished and for how long and and what that will look like? Or are you taking an actual role in the rehabilitation of them? I wrote a story for ESPNW a number of years ago about Brandon Marshall and how he was an example of someone uh, that had gotten diagnosed with a mental health issue and had, over the course of his treatment, at least as far as we knew, had not reverted back to the destructive and violent behavior that he had had before treatment. And that he was an example of investing in a person and helping them become different versus simply punishing until that punishment ends and then welcoming them back without any proof of transformation. That doesn't serve the the violent offender. It doesn't serve their victims. It doesn't serve the team they're on. And it's really an empty, it's an empty thing. And I do think that because experts will show that the peers of these people are the most likely to be able to affect change and encourage them to get the help and make the changes that they need, that the NFL and the people involved in this sport need to be also involved in dealing with and treating uh, the members of their quote-unquote fraternity or brotherhood when something like this comes up instead of abandoning them if they're no longer of use to them or quickly sweeping it under the rug and acting as though change has happened, even if we can't see it and there's no proof of it because they want them back on the field. Well, and, and to that end, I mean, transparency, I think, is more important than ever when it comes to recidiv- recidiv- I can't say recidivism. Uh, thank you. You were so close. Uh, I know. <laughs> so close. Uh, transparency, I think, is more important than ever. And you mentioned three people that are involved with the Super Bowl uh, that have uh, a ha- have a history around domestic violence issues. Like th- these are the moments where if the league would come out and talk about the whys, the whens, the hows, and the whats, I think it would make people feel a lot more comfortable that they actually give a damn about uh, any sort of help in these processes. But until they do that and without that, it's hard to trust that the league is doing anything other than putting the players that they need back on the field and then just getting the rest of them out of the league when it's convenient. Completely agree. And one last thing quickly. I look at the mentions of me, Mina Kimes, other female reporters who cover this stuff often. And what happens is as soon as this hits, people in bad faith come into our mentions and ask us why we haven't written on it, covered it, talked about it. And it could be an hour old. We could have not even seen it yet. And attacking the people who are trying to do this work and trying to approach it like professionally and respectfully uh, is BS. So I just want to put that out there. Coming up, a new 30 for 30 that Fitz is already a little too excited about. We're going to get into the details and talk to the director next on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. All of our guests join us on the Goodyear Hotline. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, be sure to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Get you a lot of fun out there. Sarah uh, obviously, there are particular. I'm always excited for 30 for 30s. You know that. But let's be real. I've got a Raiders tattoo, right? Like, so, uh, you know, I, I don't, <laughs> on my wall of life accomplishments, for anyone that doesn't know, my right arm is the moments I'm proudest of in my life. I have the outline of the Raiders shield filled with an American flag for when I got to play the national anthem for the first time for my beloved Raiders. So when I heard that there was going to be a 30 for 30 on Al Davis versus the NFL, I may or may not have screamed like a child. So excited to head over to the Goodyear Hotline where we're joined by director Ken Rogers, who directed Al Davis versus the NFL, which premieres February 4th. Ken, thanks so much for the time. Uh, this is really a deep dive into the relationship between Al Davis and Pete Rozelle, the former commissioner of the NFL. This is not necessarily a new story for Raiders fans. Why dive into this story right now? <coughs> 
Uh, first of all, I love the fact that you have that tattoo. That is awesome, <laughs> and I did not know that. Uh, Maybe he would have used you for the film, you know, if he knew about the number of my friends that are like the the number of my friends that have texted me and been like, told me, tell me you're in this thing. I'm like, no, I'm not not that big. I'm not that big. I mean, that's Raiders Nation right there. (laughs) I know it. Listen, uh, the story may be old, but really, I felt um, that 2020 was the end of this story, and here's why. When we had the Raiders on Hard Knocks uh, in the summer of 2019, uh, we at NFL Films felt like something had changed. There was there was a real marked difference in the relationship between us and the Raiders, which that relationship had strained uh, in, in, over the course of four decades, of course, at times. And there was a real difference between the relationship between the Raiders and the league office. I just sort of felt it in the air. And I realized that this previous season, the 2020 season, was a turning point in that Mark Davis and Commissioner Goodell had figured out a way with the building of Allegiant Stadium and the move to Las Vegas to put to rest the hostilities that still lingered between the the Davis camp and, and the Pete Rosell camp, even though they had they had passed on and had deceased it still just lingered in the air between the two institutions you could still feel it whenever they talked about each other and i think once they finally figured out this stadium and this relocation i think we're into a new era and it was a perfect time to to revisit this story now that i believe it's coming to a to an end I kind of joked about how you're not getting fits as an interview for this 30 for 30 Al Davis versus the NFL. But there's good reason for that. And not just because Fitz is a nobody and people don't care. It's because you didn't get any new interviews for this. This is fascinating to me. Talk about this aspect of the film. That's right. You would have been number one, Fitz, I promise. (laughs) Um, Really, what it came down to is these two characters are so incredible as characters, both in their accomplishments and their personalities when they're on screen, that we made the early decision that uh, we didn't want to hear from secondary characters. We didn't want to hear from sports writers or even players or coaches who had their own viewpoint on this relationship. We had Al and Pete. We just wanted to hear from Al and Pete. And we had all this incredible archive footage of them talking about each other, which was a gold mine. And all we needed was this this framing device of, okay, well, how, how do we structure the film so that all this archive footage can play? And we said, well, we still, we just want it to be from Alan Pete's point of view. How can we let Alan Pete talk? And in the, in the old days, maybe even a decade ago, you would have just cast actors and, and put a wig on both of them and said, you're Al and you're Pete, go ahead. Um, but with the new technology coming around, we, we decided to be the first sports documentary to use deep fake technology and uh, put digital masks on some stand-ins and had impressionists do the voice of Al Davis and, and Pete Rozelle. And in doing so, and having these two men and their spirits sort of come back to us uh, in Allegiant Stadium, we were able to not interview anyone for the film and just let these two people tell their own story. And I'll be honest, it was really cool to see, you know, this moment of uh, digital or not, seeing Al Davis in the new stadium was a cool moment. I, I, this is the advantage, the perks of the job. I've gotten to see a little of it. Uh, so we're talking to directors, Ken Ro- director Ken Rogers about the 30 for 30 Al Davis versus the NFL premieres February 4th. So, Ken, 
If you're like me, I'm 43. I grew up a Raiders fan, right? So when I was a little kid, this was the, the conspiracy theory. The theory was that as a result of the lawsuit between Al Davis and the NFL, the NFL did everything they could at every turn to find a way to make life for the Raiders difficult, always playing in Denver in the middle of winter. There were all of these conspiracy theories that the league was constantly trying to get back at the organization because of the lawsuit. When you went in to make this film and you started looking back at anything, any basis for massive conspiracy? theory uh listen if you listen to anyone in the raiders organization at the time you would say yes because you can have a uh, you can get a long list of proof at the time um and if you listen to anyone uh in the legal office you would say well that's of course al being al and finding ways to remain the uh, enemy uh, of, of the state, which is a role he liked to play. Uh, and, it, and it kept going long after Pete Rozelle was gone. I mean, all you have to do is look at the tuck rule when, in 2001, uh, and you'll see that it continued, um, and the stadium issues continued, and the, the, the bad will at, at various times continued. Um, I didn't see really any proof of that, but I can tell you that there was some smoke in terms of their relationship. There was definitely some ill will. Um, whether or not there was any shenanigans, uh, you know, it was pretty far back there. I'm like you. I was the same age. I was probably watching, you know, Knight Rider or the A-Team in the 80s. So <laughs> I, I wasn't really paying attention to the details of this lawsuit. But when I watched the details of the lawsuit and the accusations that there was a plant, that the NFL had a plant in the jury room and that, you know, one owner had a heart attack while testifying against Al Davis, and another owner accused Al Davis of physically threatening him. I mean, this would have, if it happened today, it would be, it would blow up Twitter. It would be a reality show. It was, it was outrageous. And so you got to think that they were out to, to destroy each other for sure, one way or the other. Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, director Ken Rogers of the upcoming 30 for 30, Al Davis versus the NFL out February 4th with us here on Spain and Fitz. I don't know much about Al Davis, to be honest with you. I'm not a Raiders fan, a little bit younger, uh, and I just wasn't paying attention. So I'm going to learn a ton from watching this. What did you learn or what might someone like Fitz, who's a real diehard, be surprised to learn about Al Davis or the story of this time? I really think the the thing that shocked me the most is how after four decades of fighting with Pete Rozelle and the league office, Al Davis felt about Pete Rozelle upon the commissioner's retirement. And it's really the conclusion and climax of the film. And it's really heartfelt. And it's amazing to see and realize that Al Davis, the rebel, the contrarian, the outlaw, isn't the villain. And I think mm. people very often um, conflate the two. They, they, they think that fighting against authority means you have to cross the line and, and be the bad person. And Al was renowned throughout football for his caring of his players and for his thoughtfulness and being there for anyone who needed him and obviously a genius in all things football. Um, and you see him go after the, the league and Roselle in this film so much that when Pete Roselle retires and, and Al Davis expresses his thoughts about that retirement, it comes as a real 
shocker to the audience of how heartfelt that respect is between Al Davis and Pete Rozelle. And you realize that just because they disagreed doesn't mean that one was a hero and one was a villain and um, that they were, they were good and bad. It was, it was just different. Different opinions doesn't mean that you have to be the villain. You can check out Al Davis versus the NFL premiering February 4th, 30 for 30. Uh, Ken Rogers, great work on it. If you're a Raiders fan, you will still, this this is going to blow your mind. It's really well done. If you're not, you're going to love the history lesson, but it's great work by you, Ken. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. I appreciate you having me. I hope you enjoy the film. ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive Insurance. Small business protection just got easier with more than 30 coverage options available. Progressive has you covered more at ProgressiveCommercial.com. Coming up, okay, so I, I, I gave the conspiracy theory out there. Raiders fans have got a lot of them. What conspiracy theories do you actually believe? We'll dive more into that next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, presented by Progressive Insurance. Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We were just talking about the 30 for 30 that comes out February 4th. Al Davis versus the NFL does a really nice job of giving everybody a history lesson on the contentious relationship between Al Davis and Pete Rozelle. Also sort of the backstory and why it happened and how it impacted everybody and the way that these two men battled. An interesting part of it is at the end, it gives a lot of credit to Mark Davis and really makes sure that it it gives you some sense of where the Raiders are today with the league. But it doesn't change the fact, Sarah, that there have been conspiracy theories in Raider Nation forever. I mean, I deal with it, and I'm lucky enough to get to hang out with Raider Nation Radio and the ESPN affiliate in Vegas every week, and sometimes it comes up, you know, hey, do you think the refs are against the Raiders because of this? Or do you think the league fixed that? And there's just this great conspiracy theory, and uh, I mentioned it earlier, like in the 80s, the thought was everything that happened that was anti-Raiders happened because the league didn't want to see the Raiders be successful, and you know, I get it. I've bought into it sometimes as a fan, but it had me thinking, like, what other conspiracy, like, are are there great Chicago conspiracy theories around uh, any of your favorite teams? Oh, yeah, there are. Uh, <laughs> I mean, for, there's a bunch of Michael Jordan ones, right? He was actually hung over for the flu game. It wasn't the pizza or the flu or the whatever uh, that Jordan retired because the league forced him to to clean up the gambling stuff. Oh, no, that's real. That's not a conspiracy theory. Like, we just all accept that. Fitz, real, don't right? try me. Okay. Do not fair. try me, it's Fitz. Not, it's not a day to not try you. Today. <laughs> not today. Not this year. Not, not this <laughs> lifetime, okay? At this point, we've crossed over to the dark side. I, I can't promise I'll ever be back in a space where you could try me. Somebody um, cut that, and we'll try it again in 2022. Okay, go. <laughs> Yeah, give us a shot. I would love to be the kind of person in 2022 that's just <laughs> giving you free giggles on your BS, but I'm not that person in 2021. Uh, but let's ask people, because I want to know, at Spain and Fitz, at Sarah Spain, at Jason Fitz, if there is a sports-related conspiracy you actually do think is real. It could be the... You know, the league freezing the balls for the lottery and trying to rig it for the Knicks. It could be anything related to refereeing in the NBA, right? We know some of it was real and not a conspiracy. Maybe even some, like, deeper, not as obvious ones that you actually believe. Would love to hear it. I even had somebody uh, text me after last weekend's games that was convinced that the reason the games played out the way they played out is because of the mm-hmm. AFC and NFC. Oh, that was a game. lot of my menchies, yeah. Is because the league wants it. It's like, 
Here's the thing, though. You know, an agent buddy of mine years ago said, trace a, a, any rumor you hear, trace it to who benefits from the rumor, and you probably know who, who started it. So, you know, when it comes down to contracts, if it benefits a player, it probably came from the agent. If it benefits the team, it came from the team. Mm-hmm. Well, what's the benefit? Like, if you're the NFL, the Super Bowl is going to get great ratings no matter who's in it. And if you're the NFL and you're looking at Mahomes versus Rodgers or Mahomes versus Brady, do you think there's a real conspiracy theory one way or the other on, like, oh, well, the league doesn't want Rodgers in the Super Bowl. Like, that just doesn't make any sense. They don't need any help on Super Bowl ratings. So why would they go in and take the risk of fixing the result just to get, uh, you know, whatever the, the perception is of having a different matchup? I, it just I agree that the sense. risk is too great for that reward in this particular case because it also, would have been a great game a otherwise. Like, who can, yeah, I mean, like, that's John Oliver did a great thing about conspiracy theories, and that was one of the biggest points he made that stood out was – Count the number of people that have to be in on it and then keep it a secret, including all the way back to, like, the moon landing and stuff. How many people would have to be in on that? And if no one have said it, I mean, it's, it is it is pretty funny. So we want we want to hear if you guys actually uh, do believe any of them, though. Yeah, well, that that's really that's, – that's fair. Uh, Spain and Fitz, ESPN Radio, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. The other thing we wanted to get you caught up on, we spent a lot of time yesterday talking about, obviously, um, everything that was going on uh, around Major League Baseball – and uh, I wanted to have a quick follow-up on that, Sarah, because there were no no inductees into the Hall of Fame. But there is at least a conversation that Tom Verducci had a great article on SportsIllustrator.com that this could be the, the case for the next three years. So if you look forward, and, and we're sitting here, and we're not seeing any Major League Baseball Hall of Famers all the way until 2024, is that a signal of a problem? That seems strange to me. And, and we said it yesterday. If you, if you should get in, then you should get in. I don't think they should have to force somebody in the hall. But to think that nobody would be deserving for that long seems outlandish. Well, as we talked about yesterday, I think the problem with that is if the ending decision is we don't believe that they get in, then you have a giant gap in the baseball you know, story. And 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 if you want to argue why you're making those those votes, I, I get it, right? I get that it's a difficult and complicated thing to figure out what you do with Schilling and Bonds and these guys. It might not be a simple answer of in or out. It might be, as we discussed, a whole separate wing of the building that acknowledges the asterisks and the question marks around that era. Mina Kimes suggested today on Around the Horn an interesting thing, which would be remove the morality clause from the Hall of Fame voting Only baseball helps decide who gets in. And then the subjectivity of the voters applies to who gets honored, who gives a speech and attends a ceremony. That those people can be in the Hall of Fame for their greatness at the game of baseball, but they're in there with a plaque and people who go there can read about them. They do not get the honor of showing up and getting a jacket put on them and giving a speech. I think that's an interesting way to look at it because... Then the subjectivity comes into who do we want to feel the warm fuzzies and have us represent the game versus who can we say without any argument statistically did things that affected a majority of the games that they were in and the story of the game itself. It's such a strange moment to think about the the mentality of it because yesterday I'll be the first to admit as we sort of broke it down uh, with the in the moment uh, I I felt like I was vacillating back and forth you know one minute it was 
you can't worry about morality in the next minute. It was, well, you're right. Do you really want them standing up as, as shepherds of the game, essentially? But uh, I struggle with the concept as the huge football fan that I am, uh, you know, trying to explain to one friend today that, you know, hey, let's acknowledge that O.J. Simpson is still in the NFL Hall of Fame, right? Like, And so I can't imagine for anybody that doesn't remember his football career walking through and saying, wait, 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 he's a Hall of Famer? Like trying to figure out that context is difficult. And in a social media world where everything is covered so, so absolute, right, as it comes out, I understand the blowback in the moment. But I, I love, frankly, the idea of separating morality from the conversation only in the sense that then you're not asking baseball writers to not only judge the game but also be the morality police. Like that just seems like that's an uncomfortable slippery slope to me whenever their morality may not match those views of the people that they're voting on. Well, and the metrics are nearly impossible. You're asking people to gauge whether the racists and people who tried to prevent segregation years ago are on the same par with someone who has posted memes about murdering journalists or someone who's an actual murderer versus someone who's an abuser versus someone who cheated versus, you know, all of those things are disparate. And to argue that there's some line after which you've crossed that no longer allows you to be a part of it. But we've also grandfathered in people during a time and an era when their opinions and actions would be abhorrent now. Uh, that is a difficult thing to ask of people who are essentially being asked to be experts in the game and not in life. At your point, I think one of the other complicated issues about chilling is a lot of people are using the catch-all term of politics, right, If just because you don't agree with his politics. But unfortunately, at this point, there may be a political party or side that we associate with these beliefs. But what he is eschewing, or, or I'm sorry, what he is he is telling us about himself is not political. It's not about policy. It's about racism and homophobia and religious hate and belief in trying to take down our democracy. Like all of those things are not actually a political side. Uh, So the fact that it gets murky in trying to claim that it's disagreeing with politics is to ignore the actual acts of violence that he is endorsing. No, all fair points. The I think the difficulty for me is always the slippery slope that you start in general. But I also think that you know it's much easier for my mind to compartmentalize great baseball player or or bad person. You know, if I can separate those, it makes the voting process easier mm-hmm. for my super analytical mind. Doesn't make it right, just so the way my brain works. Coming up, and Peter LeBron for league MVP so far. We'll get to that and other NBA headlines next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Lots of NBA to get to as we're at the quarter mark of the season. And we're already hearing about second half games being moved into the first half and players that have been missing for almost the entirety of the first quarter and protocols, everything. It's a very strange season. Lots to sort out. We're going to get some help with it now. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN App, Sirius XM Channel 80. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Joining us now on the Goodyear Hotline, Yahoo senior NBA writer Vincent Goodwill. Vincent, thanks for joining us. We just heard in that update Donovan Mitchell out in the concussion protocol. The Jazz, one of the hottest teams in the league right now. First, how much does it affect them to be without him? And secondly, is there staying power in terms of a playoff run for this team? Well, I think it's one of those things where, Sarah, that's your number one option offensively as far as a shot career. Maybe he's not your best player, you know, Rudy Gobert, depending on what he does on the defensive end. But it affects you, you know, greatly. And they've been playing really, really well, uh, despite the whole Shaq, Donovan Mitchell thing. Like, like he's been improving 
uh, as the season has progressed after a pretty slow start. Do I think they can make some noise in the West? I guess I'm curious what you mean by noise. Do I think they can beat the Lakers? No. Do I think they can beat the Clippers? No. So maybe they're a second-round team, which in Salt Lake City is still pretty good. (laughs) That is fair. We're talking to Vincent Goodwill. You mentioned the Shaq. Uh, Donovan Mitchell stuff. I mean, what's your assessment of Donovan Mitchell, given what Shaq told everybody? I think it's very petty of someone as big as Shaq to act so small. And I understand that it's very hard for the greatest of the greats to be coaches because they don't understand why, you know, why can't you see this play? I can see it. Why can't you do this? I can do it. And But they, there's a level of understanding that they don't get what everybody else gets. But when you're an analyst and you're Shaq and you're on TV, it looks like you're going for a viral moment. It looks like you're trying to make it about you as opposed to about the content of the actual question. You know, you're just trying to get a reaction out of a guy. If that were a reporter that said that, I think we would take it a completely different direction. But because it's Shaq and people like Shaq and everything else, it's taken with a different tone. But I still think it was it was pretty small of Shaq to do that. Do I think that Donovan Mitchell can be – as your second best player on a championship team, sure. If he, you know, he's your maybe not necessarily your best guy, but could he play with a LeBron? Could he play with a Kawhi Leonard? Could he play with a Steph Curry? Of course he could. Those are the number one guys in the league of Kevin Durant. Those are the number one of number one guys. It's no shame to say that maybe you can't be that. That doesn't mean that you're worthless. I think that's a pretty small argument to be making right now. I think he was both trying to go viral, which is something he's admitted to wanting to do a lot on that program. And he was also doing it in a sort of nudge, nudge, let me inspire you way instead of take you down. He just did it so poorly that he left that up in the air and it ended up being extremely awkward. Uh, Vincent Goodwill with us on the Goodyear Hotline, Yahoo Senior NBA writer. You mentioned that the Jazz probably can't beat the Lakers. Instead of asking you if anyone can, because I think I know the answer, Give me two teams that you would not be as shocked to see them win in the postseason against the Lakers. Well, don't take this to Vegas because you should take nothing that I say to Vegas, but (laughs) I'm still someone who thinks that had the Clippers decided that they weren't done with the, the bubble over the summer or early fall, I think that they were built to beat the Lakers. Now, granted, it was a lot of things that were going on there. They were clearly ready to go home after game five of that series against Denver. But now you have a rejuvenated Paul George. You got a more cohesive unit. I won't say a better coach, but Ty Lue is still a championship coach. I still like their makeup. I still think that, hey, if they can get a point guard, cool. But even as presently constituted, I would not be shocked if they beat the Lakers in a seven-game series. And hold your nose, Sarah Spain, when I say this. Mm. The Brooklyn Nets, because they mm. got three dudes who can really go off at any given time, except that Kyrie Irving can go off and leave the reservation at any yeah, given time. Yeah, literally go off. Know. Yeah, like he could go <laughs> off and not be available. Yeah. I mean, Kyrie <laughs> could go literally. off and Harden could just stop playing basketball. At any, I mean, like, yeah, he forgets how to basketball occasionally. I mean, you're taking Brooklyn but over the 76ers I, in this conversation, Vincent? Are you? Are you I, was about to, I was about to say something that's not permissible. Yeah, you were. <laughs> Airways. <laughs> Are you kidding me? The I think the Nets at their peak could who, absolutely, yeah, yeah. What what is their peak? I'm I'm agreeing with you. I think that the the Nets, if they are all together in on it, are probably better than the 76ers when they're all together in on it. Absolutely, I don't trust the 76ers because you got a player that's afraid to shoot, and I can't have those type of dudes on my team having that type of importance. And I love Ben Simmons' talent. 
I just don't like either what's in his head or what's in his heart. And because he is that way and because his numbers are down, even if I think Joel Embiid is the MVP of the league, I still get way too many questions. Now, Sarah Spain, if you ask me if they pick up a player like, say, a shooting guard in Chicago right now to, to, to who can create shots hmm. late in the shot clock and everything else, I might be willing to take you up on something like a Philadelphia 76ers and the L.A. Lakers in the NBA Finals. But Zach Levine still plays in Chicago, and we're not sure what the Bulls are ever going to do. Well, you sure guys, aren't. We're talking to Vincent Goodwill, <laughs> Yahoo senior NBA writer. You guys aren't wrong. I just don't think that there's any chance that they play kumbaya by the campfire and suddenly everybody in Brooklyn gets along in this process. Anything Milwaukee can do? I mean, they, they obviously this is all about Giannis. Is there anything in your mind Milwaukee can do to put themselves back into that conversation as the best team in the East? Sure, uh, but I think it's one of those things that has to be proven because we've seen that Milwaukee can be paper champions in a regular season because of the three-pointers that they shoot, the way that they defend. That's conducive to a you know, one-game sample size, 72 games, 82 games. But when you come down to a seven-game series where everybody knows what everybody does and it's coming down to not just what you do best but what the things you do secondarily, can you do those things well? It has yet to be seen. And Giannis, although he still looks like an MVP type of player, he still looks like someone that you can exploit a little bit in the playoffs because of his lack of perimeter game and the fact that they don't put him on the post and make the game easier for him. So despite the fact that I think they are a better team that they've been in the last couple of years, that they're maybe more equipped for the playoffs, the fact is the East has gotten a lot better, and you've got five teams that I think can make a legitimate run uh, to the NBA Finals. And I just think it's been flip-flop to where the West used to hold the balance of power, I think, this year and maybe for the near future, I think is the Eastern Conference. It's Spain and Fitz here. Spain, Jason Fitz talking to Yahoo senior NBA writer Vincent Goodwill. What do you make of the fact that they're going to have to move around the second half schedule into the first half already? And do you think that anything's been accomplished throughout this first 25% of the season in terms of figuring out how to prevent the second or I guess the last three quarters from looking like it has, especially for teams like the Wizards? Well, when you ask if anything's been accomplished, I'm I'm sure certain broadcast partners have been satisfied. (laughs) (laughs) I guess I mean in terms of protocol and learning about how to get this done without consistent interruption. I don't know. Honestly, Sarah, because we are in this spot and this COVID, as we've seen over the past day or so, this takes no prisoners. And no matter what you do, you can do the right things. You can be diligent. And it can still claim whatever it is that you're trying to do. So while maybe you've gotten through the worst of it, we still don't know exactly how this is going to go until the players actually get vaccinated. And who knows if the players and the teams are going to get vaccinated. If that happens, I would be much more confident about the second half of the season. I would say that I expected things to be this bad because you had this happen. You had the start of a season happen in the middle of the holiday season, which has so many different interactions and everything else. And I, the league expected it. I expected it. The hope is that you got through the worst of it and that on the back end, you can make up some of the games that maybe you've lost. Or if you're a team like the Washington Wizards, 
maybe you wind up at the end of the season. Let's just say the Washington Go-Go's might be out there making up the last five or six games that have been, you know, that haven't been played in the first half of the season because they're getting the 72. It's just a matter of who's actually going to be playing in games. Can we give the generals a shot at least? Can we, can we, I think the generals have earned it. (laughs) They've taken their lumps for enough years to get the call up. (laughs) Maybe the Garfum and Chicago Bulls could actually get out there, Sarah Spain. You know what? I take offense to that, that when I offer up a team that is literally created just to take a beating, that makes you think of my team. That's very sad. If you can't play nice, I'll pull this whole show (laughs) over. We will have a conversation. Oh, man. We appreciate the time, Vincent. Thank you for hanging out with hey, us. No uh, I had to take no a moment and gather myself on the Bulls and the Generals being <laughs> in the same good. sentence. It's all good. You guys take uh, it easy. My condolences. Yeah, I'll, t- I'll accept them. Like uh, This is the first year in a while where I haven't said they should be relegated to the G League, so I guess in that case, things are looking up. Uh, ESPN Radio is presented by Progressive <laughs> Insurance. Drivers who save with Progressive save over $750 on average. Coming up, one team may be looking for a new quarterback just two seasons after a Super Bowl appearance. That and a bunch of other stuff in quickies. Next. You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. For Spain, Jason Fitz, ESPN Radio, ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We got some good digital-only content. Sometimes we do some pre-parties and after-parties you can only get on the podcast. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. It's another busy day with our two hours. It's hard to get everything in. And the way we fix that is, of course, with quickies. We get in and out of topics fast. Quickies with Spain and Fix. Now, I don't know if we had any sort of order for this, but I'm just jumping right to the head of the line. Candace Parker coming to the Chicago Sky, leaving the L.A. Sparks after 13 seasons. She's coming on home, Naperville native. We love her in Chicago. And Fitz, I will tell you, this is a team in the Chicago Sky that has an unfortunate record of superstars leaving, not coming. And that includes two MVPs and Sylvia Fowles and Elena Deladon. So you hear the news that Candace Parker even... 13 years in on the on the end of her career was still defensive player of the year last year even at this stage in her career for her to decide to come on back is super exciting you that you are through the moon on this one by the way Candace yeah. Parker uh, obviously played her college ball at Tennessee and so a lot of my friends mega fans of Candace Parker at that point with the Lady Vols so uh, cool to see that that moment and cool to have a homecoming right like yeah. i think that's one thing that we really see in the WNBA that that has been special is like certain players have taken the opportunity to decide exactly where they want to play in the exact situation that they want to be in so it gives chicago uh, somebody that is going to have a lot of passion for the area for the team for what it means for the city. I mean, I think that's a win for everybody all the way around. And, you know, Shanae is still never actually followed through with her promise to get me a jersey signed that I can hang in my <laughs> studio. So maybe maybe I'm out and suddenly on I'm in on Chicago. Yeah. You know? Get you in know on to the... So Dwayne Wade just tweeted out, what when they don't appreciate your worth looks like. I'm happy for my friend and teammate that she's going back home, but at L.A. Sparks, no, that's your legacy. Ooh, interesting. Ooh. Very interesting. So supposedly the Sparks did want her back, but not enough. And according to Ramona Shelburne, who broke the story officially, Sky put the hard press, full court press on her to come. And uh, I'm pumped uh, as a player and as a person, and as an ambassador for the game. Huge. All right, moving on. Quickies. Goff. 
has suddenly become a problem. And I'm thinking back to just a couple years ago when that big contract was on the table. I remember, and I don't know if this was Spain and Fitz time or Spain and Company or what, what, what show I was on. I remember essentially saying, you have to give him that money because there are only so many good quarterbacks in the league. If you don't offer it, someone else will and you lose him. And then who's under center? And now I don't know if I agree with that quite as much simply because of free agent movement at the quarterback position evolving in ways we've never seen before. Fitz, there's a chance to get some guys that feel like they would be locked in or unavailable. And then maybe you don't have to throw so much money at a golf if you're not sure, or even a Dak Prescott or some of these other guys coming up. You know, that's a really fair point. And I've often been in the camp of if you've got a pretty good quarterback that you trust, you pay him because I'm risk averse mm-hmm. in that position. But you're right. What we're seeing right now is a different level of of quarterback movement than we've ever seen. And if that turns out to be the new normal in the NFL and I'm a quarterback that's not one of the top five in the league, I'm going to get super nervous. Now, Keyshawn Johnson this morning on Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin said this about the golf situation that I think is interesting. So he's been a solid quarterback, but he hasn't taken the $130, $40 million step. He hasn't done that yet. And I think when you look at it, it's starting to become frustrating to Sean as a coach because he could be a coach killer mm. if he continues mm-hmm. playing this way and if you continue to play him. Mm. And that, Sarah, I disagree with because I think that the wonder child aura around Sean McVay, even when it has dimmed just a little bit, is still there to a certain extent. And we always think of Sean McVay with Jeff Fisher. Like, we go back, or not Sean McVay, we think of, of golf with Jeff Fisher. And we go back and think of how he looked in a previous regime. He wasn't a great quarterback. So McVay gets all the benefit of the doubt here. Golf gets none. If golf is terrible, it's not a coach killer to me. McVay will be fine. It's a quarterback career killer for golf. I agree with you on that. The only thing would be to say if there's a window here that Sean McVay thinks he could win, and if he had a better quarterback, that could kill his ability to put up those Super Bowl statistics as a That's coach fair. if you never come across a team this good again. Uh, but yeah, it, uh, Les Snead, uh, the general manager of the Rams, said, Jared Goff is a Ram at the moment. It's oh. way too early to speculate the future. That's a beautiful mystery, stealing lines <laughs> from Aaron Rodgers. And then later in the same presser, Jared Goff, he's a Ram right now. So what's the date? January 26th? That's a fact. That's obvious. Okay, not exactly the seal of approval you're looking for from your GM. Uh, next story. Quickies. Pat Fitzgerald. Will be the coach at Northwestern for a whole lot longer. If you remember, he was on Spain and Fitz not long ago when there were rumors that he might be uh, someone that the Bears might be interested in if they were getting a new coach that the NFL might come calling. Here's what he said to us in December. Sir, if I were to ride that roller coaster, it's a heck of a ride now. Uh, you know, because <laughs> when you have tough years like last year, you know, I, I couldn't coach my way out of a paper bag. So, you know, you, you just are thankful for the for the uh, commitment uh, well, and, the, and the support. The commitment and support uh, is certainly there. Ten years with Northwestern, oh. a new 10-year contract stretching through the 2030 season. Of course, Northwestern and the fans are hoping he knows how to coach his way out of a paper bag more often than not. Well, this was an important moment for Northwestern, though, because there have been overtures to Pat Fitzgerald, and rightfully so. He, he looks like he's a great coach, right? And so Northwestern football has a certain expectation that I think he's going to be able to meet year in, year out with that program. And now they sort of at least come in and say, hey, we believe in you enough to give you security. And that hopefully is enough to keep other schools from necessarily knocking on the door or other NFL programs. So good move by Northwestern football, I think. Good use of the word overtures by you. I'm Thank impressed. You so much. 
Thank how that's you so here. much. Yeah. Uh, moving on. <laughs> Quickies. Give me the quick. There we go, yes. sexy voice guy. By the way, we should meet this guy. I, I don't. Maybe if we meet him, I'll feel bad about always uh, sexualizing his voice. But it is it is very sensual. Uh, the final story of the day: Jason Witten retiring again from the NFL after 17 seasons. Plans to sign a quick quick uh, contract with the Cowboys so he can go out as a Dallas member. Uh, but the Vegas contract expires at the end of the year. Thoughts, Fitz? Yeah, so this, I will say, is one of the signings that has been glossed over that was an absolute mistake uh, by the Raiders. The Raiders' backup tight end is actually very good. Should have gotten more playing time. They had to take him off the field to put Witten in. I think that was a mistake short-term and long-term. If they wanted leadership, I don't think it was worth $4 million for a team that didn't have a pass rush. So I think Witten, as much as I respect his career, was one of the the mistakes that Mayock and Gruden have made in roster building. So uh, congratulations on a career, but they got to do better in, in Vegas. Yeah, uh, previous, of course, to that Raiders tenure, an incredible career. No tight end in history has played more games, and only Tony Gonzalez has more receptions and yards at the position. So maybe not quite the finish she would have wanted, but it's always at least nice if you're a great to go out on your own terms, and it sure seems like he did. Coming up, how does the Bucks defense handle the KC offense in Super Bowl 55? We'll get into that matchup coming up next, ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Get a lot of exclusive content you can only get out there. We're going to head straight over to the Goodyear hotline. Really excited for this one, obviously. Getting ready for the Super Bowl, taking a little break. To join us right now, Tampa Bay Buccaneers linebacker Shaq Barrett joins us. Shaq, thanks so much for the time, man. You've had a, a just explosion statistically since you came to Tampa. The sack numbers last year, obviously, we all know. This year, you've continued that success. What's been the difference since you came to Tampa in your ability to get after the quarterback? It's just uh, my coaches believe in me, then uh, just finding the strides at the right time and just working it in practice, just putting the work in that in practice day in, day out, having some good guys to be working against on the offensive line in practice is uh it's helping me out a lot. And then just, just, well, just talking to like JPP and Sue and like Vita and like the D line coach, Coach Casey, my coach, Coach Foot, like everybody just like we all work together perfectly. Well, and when you have a season like you did in 2019 where you lead the league, you're going to get a lot more attention. So lots of double teams, lots of extra focus, and it helps out your team uh, tied for the fourth-best pass rush win rate in the NFL this past season in part because other guys get weaker blocking because everyone's focused on you. Do you take that as a point of pride, or is it frustrating during games to get all these bodies on you? Oh, it's most definitely uh, both. <laughs> it's frustrating <laughs> uh, a lot of the time. But it's also a uh, point of pride, too, because I know my guys in the inside and on the other side are going to do their job and uh, win and uh, get some pressure on the quarterback. But uh, I, I feel as though I had more attention, but I feel as though as well that I still could have performed a little bit better during a regular season. Like, my pressures was good, but I should have turned more of those into that. We're talking to Bucks linebacker Shaq Barrett and Shaq. I'm going to be honest with you, man. Like, I'm not going to lie to you. I picked against the Bucks in the playoffs each game. Wow. I've been wrong. I've just been wrong every single time. And watching <laughs> you all force turnovers against the Packers was absolutely incredible. What is it about this defense that has you guys firing and, and able to get so many turnovers right now? We just uh, we just becoming, like, having a brotherhood. We have this camaraderie in a locker room. We all calling each other out but not, like, doing it too crazily or too, like, harshly we just trying to help each other become better players 
on the field while having fun doing it. Like we all, we enjoy our time out there with each other. We love uh, playing with the guys that we got on the team. And as you can see, like you can start saying it towards the end of the year as we like, cause we've been working on it for a while and now it's just all coming together, the communication, the camaraderie and just the fun is all just working perfectly now. Shaquille Barrett of the Bucks with us here on Spain and Fitz. You have a small sample size of pre-Brady and with Brady. You were only with the Bucks for one season before his arrival. But what can you tell us about what it means for a locker room or a team to all of a sudden insert the GOAT? Oh, yeah, you heard the GOAT. Like, he, he means everything to a franchise. Like, is, he's still so confident, so calm and relaxed in every situation. is like nothing he hasn't seen. And just his leadership in the locker room, the way he, like, just – talks to everyone, how he includes everyone. His personality is all contagious, and we all, like, have to be a part of it. But he, he means everything to our team. Yeah, I mean, but got to be honest, right? You're, you're practicing against him. You, you can't hit him. Like, is there, is, is there a lot of trash talking going on between the offense and defense in the practices? No, it hasn't, it hasn't been crazy. I've been on, like, teams where it was a lot of trash talk. I would say we talk, like, a little bit, but it's not, like – there's nothing crazy. Don't get like out of hand or anything. It's all like in fun and good fun. I like the idea of you can't hit Brady. You're like I tripped. I tripped again. <laughs> you know, you're just like you're just like he's getting all the credit, and we're the ones out here, you know, making up for his interceptions. So I don't even get to put a body on him. Um, uh, Shaquille Barrett with us here on Spain and Fitz. Uh, this preparation for the Super Bowl, um, it, it it must be nice to have time to get ready for the opposition, especially when that opposition is Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs. But it also sure gives you a lot of time to get nervous, to think about what a big deal it is to be in the Super Bowl. What's it been like so far for you this time leading up to the game? Uh, it's been really good getting my body to where it needs to be and then just watching a lot of film, getting a lot of film study in. I know uh, it's the biggest game of my career, so I'm going to treat it as such. But I'm not going to, like, it's the old football game I've been playing for my whole entire life since I was six years old, so I'm not going to, like, make it more than what it is, not meaning, like, it's the Super Bowl, so it's a big thing, but I'm not making it, like, nerve-wracking or anything like that. I'm still come out there, be comfortable, do my job, have fun doing it. But uh, it, it's, like, it's still football at the end of the day to me, and I'm going to come out there try to make the same plays I've been making help the team win and do whatever we got to do to sell the deal. I mean, Shaq, that being said, you've been to a Super Bowl. You've got a ring from your time with the Broncos. How's it different going through this process a second time? It's different because I'm one of the guys who – I'm one of the guys now. Last time I was a role player, special teams guy, still had a role on defense, but, like, winning or losing – not necessarily like falls on me this year, but it, I had more to do with me with us winning and losing. And in Denver, I didn't have that much to do. Like I, I played, I played good, but without my contribution, we still would have won probably because we had Vaughn, Dware, <laughs> Danny Trevathan, Malik. Like oh, we had everybody. Like our defense was stacked back then. So uh, just having that that uh, role of being a guy that could affect the game, that's uh, probably the only difference. Yeah, more stress for you, but also the value if you get that win is so much bigger when you're a huge part of the reason uh, that they do win, which has uh, got to be a cool feeling for you. It's Spain and Fitz, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. We're talking to Tampa Bay Bucks linebacker Shaq Barrett. Um, you and your wife launched the 50-50 Foundation, helping children in the foster care uh, situation uh, and system. 
Uh, can you tell us about that and why you were inspired to do that? So my wife was a foster. She was in a foster care system. She'd been to multiple homes, and she just know how broken a system is. And she want, uh, she just want to try to give kids any resemblance of normalcy in their life. And me, I just don't think kids should struggle or have to worry about anything that kids should normally be worried about. Mm-hmm. So that's like where it hits for me. I just don't. I just want kids to have a normal easy going life as for as long as possible because adulthood is hard enough as is they shouldn't have to worry about stuff as kids that they shouldn't have to worry about we yeah we just launched it uh this year and yeah we're excited to get that going i mean it means that's a lot great. for both of us i mean a whole lot man that's really awesome that you guys are doing that uh gotta ask you gotta have a little fun here your teammate scotty miller says he's faster than tyreek you, you buying that <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm buying it, hundred percent. I'm buying it. Tell, tell them, tell them, line it up after the season. You're gonna beat them this week, and then line it up. Or next week, and then you're gonna line up and beat them again. Yeah, if you haven't <laughs> seen clips of him on the track, I don't know. That might be a much closer race than many people would think. If you've never go and Google Scotty Miller on the track, he is crazy fast. Um, since we are having fun, Shaq, why do you think you lost to my Chicago Bears? No. Oh. <laughs> we lost to the Bears because uh, communication, a lot of uh, miscommunication at the end of the game, and they just made the plays at the right time, and uh, we didn't. We, like, I didn't, like, I had some times in the game where I could have stepped up and made some plays that I didn't make, and they did. They had that guy step up and make them plays at the right time, so that's all that comes down to. Just miscommunication on the defensive part of the ball. I don't even remember what happened offensively. But defensively, just miscommunication and wrong fits. Well, I appreciate it. It was one yeah, of the just, few no, uh, I mean, highlights of my game, season. Yeah. Could have done that against the Raiders. Would have helped me out. I mean, come on, Shaq. Let's just, now, we appreciate your time, man. Congratulations on just kicking butt. Uh, obviously, it's been fun to watch you do your thing. And congratulations on getting to the Super Bowl, man. We wish you the best of the luck in game. Thanks so much for your time. Yeah, yeah thanks for uh, having me. Thanks, Shaq. Shaq Bear, uh, brought to you by Goodyear, helping you discover the road ahead. Goodyear, more driven. I love that you got that Bears question in, by the way. I mean, I'm I mean, such just... a rat. I oh. mean, listen, my team was 4-1. and one. They were they were just above 500 at the time. We were feeling real chesty and good about ourselves, and we all know what happened since. Yeah, well, <laughs> I try not to think about that Bucks raiders game. All right, coming up, we asked you earlier which sports conspiracy theories you believe. We'll get some of your responses. Keep the conversation going next. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80, Sarah Spain, Jason Fitz. Having a little fun with you as we take a look at some conspiracy theories. This all came from, for anyone that didn't hear it earlier, go check out the Spain and Fitz podcast. Uh, we uh, we had the chance to sit down with Ken Rogers, who uh, put together the 30-30. He, uh, he directed the 30 for 30 that's about to come out February 4th, Al Davis versus the NFL. And it sort of raised some questions uh, that I grew up around with were these conspiracy theories that Raiders fans have that the league was out to get them. And, hey, I will say, Sarah, in his answer, when I asked if they existed, he didn't give me a clear no. So maybe oh, no. there's a chance. Here that, we you know, go. <laughs> Here no, I thought I, she'd groans up. I am no, I am the least conspiracy theory person like in the world. It, the the entire process of you know we didn't land on the moon. I, it just, I roll my eyes to all of it. But 
Conspiracy theories in sports are at least fun to talk about. So we asked everybody to start tweeting us uh, some of theirs. And I'm alarmed, at Spain and Fitz, by the way, where you can tweet us, at how many conspiracy theories there seem to be around the NBA. Everybody seems to be convinced that a particular game of some sort has been rigged in the NBA process. Maybe it's because... Well, we actually have legal evidence that it happened at one point. So, like <laughs> that can—that—that's the only reason I can—I can make it make sense. But I would think that after that would happen, it would be even more regulated, wouldn't you? You would think so. And there was actually a deep dive, I think, long form pod about Tim Donaghy and that whole thing, and kind of getting into what are the talons and what are the tentacles of that. How far reaching was it, and was it PR spin to try to blame essentially one person so that you wouldn't start digging into how far reaching it was? So I don't blame people for still having doubts about the NBA, and that's why a lot of people did say, to your point, it was you know Game Six of the 2002 Western Conference Finals. It was absolutely you know uh, David Stern and the frozen lottery bowls and and the Ewing theory. A lot of NBA ones. The one I like is uh, at Flemso. Uh, said, you know, Jordan gambling hiatus, which a lot of people really believe that one, despite the fact that The Last Dance and plenty of other things have disproved it. But then he wrote that and Isaiah Thomas encouraging Indiana driveway companies to collude on pricing in the summer of 85 so that Larry Bird would decide to do the work at his mother's house himself, leading to an eventual career ending back injury. Asterisk. I just made that one up. I mean, I'm I'm here for it, though. Like, if you're going to go with the conspiracy theory, if we're going to make one up, we should make it as complicated as yeah, possible. That, needs that, to that, be. Well, everybody... speaking of that, there is an actual one that many people believe that is fairly complicated. And at Big A Hickey is one of the people who mentioned the whole Kevin Costner, Cal Ripken story, which is, of course, that his long... Uh, unbroken game streak was actually going to be broken because he discovered Kevin Costner sleeping with his wife. And then they had a power outage that was intentionally done to prevent his streak from ending. Uh, But at Big A Hickey says, alas, I've talked to enough knowledgeable people to determine that it isn't true. A lot of people want that one to be real. I mean, that's what this really comes down to, though. Like, people want conspiracy theories in general to be real because, let's face it, it's more interesting more often than not than the truth, right? Like, Or that your team sucked. Yeah, like, (laughs) and there is a a moment. I do believe, uh, you know, that at some point a referee sees a team, you know, that, that commits enough penalties enough in their career, then they'll walk into the room, even if it's subconscious, with a, a assumption that they're going to commit penalties because that's what they always do. Like, I believe human element can come into right, it. Right, for sure. That's, that's far easier for me than the thought that, like, the NFL is calling an official before the game and saying, what we don't really want here is Buffalo in the Super Bowl. We want the Chiefs in the Super Bowl. Like, I just don't think that that level of it exists, you know? So uh, There was a really interesting discussion of that, actually. When Anthony Lynn was in the NBA, there was a conversation around whether or not he got the right amount of calls when he drove the lane because of stereotypes about Asian players. And somebody went through his entire basketball oeuvre and clipped together, cut together, all of his drives to the hoop, all of the calls that were made, compared them to similar ones. And it spurred an actually really interesting conversation uh, on a project out of Harvard called the Implicit, uh, I want to say Implicit Project or Project Implicit, which essentially says that without knowing it or being intentional about it, our preconceived ideas about people, whether because of gender or race or skin color or anything else, um, can influence the decision making around them. And so this this implicit bias, like they track it by having you look at things on a screen and react as quickly as you can to the questions. And then there's different things 
you can take one to see how you feel about a specific race or gender or otherwise. And it's fascinating how it's proved, despite some you know questions about how completely it can be trusted for its accuracy, how it does prove to people that there are things so deeply embedded in us that we don't even know that we're making decisions based on how society has ingrained things. And so I think your point is a really valid one. Like there's absolutely things that you might come at the end and say, how come this percentage is off or it doesn't feel like you're doing it the right way? And they might not have even done it on purpose. So do you believe that the NBA will come in and say, what we really need is for this series to go six games? So Uh, No, because it's so hard to control. Somebody's going to be in that meeting and hear that and tell. That's the biggest part of it that I think always gets buried here, too. Like, think about the number of times somebody leaves. Let's say you left the NFL. I I mean, my God, how many officials right now are working for TV networks as former officials, Mm -hmm. right? And the thought that they couldn't turn around and sell that bombshell for so much money. Like, if I was coming in and I was a former NFL official and I knew that I had evidence of the NFL deciding that they wanted the Patriots to or not to go to the Super Bowl every year, whichever way that the conspiracy theorist wants it, if I had that evidence, I would easily go to somebody and say, hey, I've got it. How much is it worth? And never work again. Like, that's the portion right. of it. Like, well, hum- here's the, the thing. Human element. Can we check the under the table bags of cash? Maybe part of the deal is, OK, when you leave, you're not allowed to talk about this or your monthly stipend from us goes away. Maybe they make more money keeping the secret. Well, and that that would be. That would be epic, actually. And, and, you know, at some point, though, that runs out, right? Like, what would you think there's like a non-disclosure that people sign that keeps all of this uh, sort of hidden? I, I, I do know. love the, the NBA Patrick Ewing theory, right? Like, that, the, the, mm-hmm. the draft theory is the easiest one to sort of piece together in our minds. But I also have a hard time imagining that the NBA decided that one time they were going to help the Knicks out and then never again. Like that, <laughs> right. I, You're on your own. You wasted Patrick <laughs> Ewing. We gave him to you, and now we're out. By the way, at the fixes in Tui, Brian Tui writes us, Sarah, there are multiple sports, quote unquote, conspiracies that are real. I've written three books on them. If you want to debate the subject, I'm here, ready and willing. Wow. Mysterious. Thank you so much for, I mean, I don't even know how you deep that. Like everything you it, you write, Sarah, like I'm not a journalist. I'm the first to admit when people uh, on Twitter decide they're going to hate me for that particular <laughs> thing that day. I always there's so much people, other stuff. Uh, yeah, I don't know. No, it, 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 there's a whole bevy of things they could go to. But when they go to the journalism thing, I quickly remind people I'm not a journalist. So I, I don't have that same process. You do. Like you write. How do you right. write a book about conspiracy theories when nobody can talk on the record about conspiracy theories and have it be any? Anything other than conjecture. Well, maybe we'll have to have him on and ask him because, listen, that's probably exactly what we all would have said about the accusations against Tim Donaghy until it came out. Right. Some of these things are sort of unbelievable because we started to steal a line from the Sixers, but we trust the process. Right. And if we trust that everything's on the up and up and we don't presume that there is uh, this stuff going on behind the scenes when it comes out, it is a bit of a shock. I would imagine if he's written three books on it, then. There's probably a fair amount of, of actual reporting and research that you can do that proves some of these things. I I'm tend to believe, like you said, that most of them would require far too many people to stay silent who could not in order for them to be pulled off and for us to still not know about them. But I think there are probably plenty of like lower level or maybe not as famous ones that ended up being absolutely the result of some, we'll say tinkering is a nice way of putting it. 
Well, and that, you know, I'm not saying that I think I'd have to bury my head in the sand to think that this has never happened. And things like point shaving, you know, we've seen that in, in the past, too. And so you want to think that that's not coming into modern culture, but you never you never know. I just the hardest part for me, the two hardest parts is one thinking that the league is any of these leagues are so calculated that they've got to figure out a way that they can control the variables. But two, I genuinely believe as awful as this sounds, you know, I'm a particularly positive person. I believe most people are at some point selfish, money-driven, and would right. take the celebrity and fame if they can get it. Yep. So that's the hardest part. My dog agrees. Like, well, <laughs> I'll take that endorsement all day. Like, you can't even keep a secret in your neighborhood. Like, I can't even imagine, not you, but like society. I can't imagine living your entire life knowing that you have the bombshell that could wreck the NFL and deciding that you're just going to keep that to yourself. Like, I, Yeah, I just can't the amount of money sense. it would require for you to not only give up the money of that scoop, but also the fame and the excitement of being the one to break it all open. Um, I do like at Jefferson Wolf, who tweeted us, never ascribe to conspiracy that which can be explained by incompetence, <laughs> which is a great line. Yeah. Um, incompetence, which includes allowing your dog into the room during a commercial break and then him chiming in on the show. You know, My apologies. Fletch says, sorry. It's it's 2021, and, and dogs being on the shows is part of the tradition. <laughs> it's we, part we'll of life the now. <laughs> Fletch is not going to be hanging around much longer for this show tonight, but Freddie and Fitzsimmons will be. Check them out next. Spain and Fitz, thanks for hanging out with us. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.